I'm Crystal Keating, and you're listening to the Johnny and Friends Ministry Podcast. I love bringing you real conversations about disability, hope, and ways you can include people with special needs in your church and community. And with November being National Family Caregivers Month, I'm so excited to recognize the dedication of family members who provide round-the-clock care to their loved ones. Today, I couldn't think of a better guest to kick off National Family Caregivers Month than Peter Rosenberger. Peter is a dedicated husband to his wife, Gracie, and has served as her caregiver for more than 30 years. With this experience, he's written multiple books on caregiving and even hosts an encouraging radio show called Hope for the Caregiver. As he's cared for Gracie, who lives with disability and extreme pain, he's learned so much about perseverance, love, and relationships. As someone who speaks fluent caregiver, he's offering a lifetime of experience to be a lifeline of help to his fellow caregivers. And after our conversation, learn more about Peter and subscribe to the podcast at johnnyandfriends.org podcast. November is National Family Caregivers Month, and to help us celebrate those who faithfully care for their loved ones with chronic disabling health conditions, we're talking with Peter Rosenberger today. He's an author, radio host, speaker, and a man who's been a faithful caregiver to his beloved wife, Gracie, for more than 30 years. Welcome to the podcast, Peter. Thank you very much for having me. Well, I'm so thrilled to be speaking with you. I know that you and Gracie are great friends with Johnny and Ken, so I'm so privileged to be able to talk with you today, and I know you've made it your life's mission to strengthen and encourage family caregivers, so much so that you've been speaking all over the U.S., you have a radio show called Hope for the Caregiver, and have written on this very subject, so I'd love to start our conversation today by hearing about your personal history as a caregiver. Well, mine started uh, at the altar. I said I do, and then I did. Gracie was hurt before I met her. Uh, mm. That's why Ken and I have uh, shared a, a lot just privately with each other, because we both understand we both married women who were hurt. Mm. By the time I met her, she'd had about 20 operations oh, following this car wreck she'd had uh, back in 1983. And, you know, I mean, she was just young, beautiful, and we didn't have any idea, you know, what the nature of this was going to be. But she was orthopedically banged up pretty bad. I mean, uh, uh, one resident later told her prosthetist um, that he had counted, he, they stopped counting at 200 breaks. Oh, my goodness. So, but she had been a runner, and she was determined, and, and she came back, and she limped. I saw the limp. I saw the scars. But, you know, I just, you know, I was just saw this beautiful young woman and, and uh, then I heard her sing and I knew that it was all over and uh, that I was going to be just involved with this woman for the rest of my life. Mm. But the surgeries just kept mounting. Now that I can count, she's had over 80. Oh my uh, she gave up both of her legs in the 90s, below the knee. Both of her legs are amputated below the knee. And she's had about 150 other smaller procedures that I can count. It's hard to count those. $11 million, 12 hospitals, 100 doctors have treated her, mm. and it's still ongoing. It doesn't show any signs of letting up, mm. uh, and that's been our journey into this world of disability and caregiving. Mm -hmm. It's been a journey of learning these things. I'm kind of the crash test dummy of caregivers. <laughs> if 
if you could fail at it, I failed at it on every level, my financial, moral, every, every, everything. And I, I don't say this with a badge of honor. I just say this as a matter of fact. It is what it is. And, and yet I have learned through this process where the real battle for the caregiver is, it's in the heart. You can give a caregiver a okay. bag of cash and we're not going to know what to do with that bag of cash necessarily. And we're going to need another one next week. Right. You know, and so how do you help a caregiver? And I didn't have people helping with these things. And I remember when I was writing Gracie's book, I helped her write that book. It was as told to me. And Johnny kind of mentored me through it as I was doing it. And there were some personal things about me, the, my failures that I, I, I asked Johnny, I said, you really think we ought to share this? She said, yeah, it's real, Peter. That's right. And, and, and you, you got to just deal with reality and, and, uh, uh, she was very kind to me in that, and she was very gracious because these are hard things. But I figured, you know what? It is what it is, mm-hmm. and um, and it's not how lured the tale; it's how great the savior. Amen. And 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 so I don't go into a lot of details about it because I don't for for several reasons, but mainly because I don't want people to compare themselves to my story and say, "Well, okay." At least I didn't do as bad as Peter. And therefore, they're minimizing their own need for grace and, and repentance. And then I don't want them to say, well, yeah, but Peter didn't do as bad as me. And then they minimize that grace that's available for them in their sin. Mm-hmm. So let's just say it's sin. Let's just say it is, it's, it's a thing that we all, we all stand short of the glory of God. Mm-hmm. And, and the cross is is effective in all these things. And there are people out there listening today that are wrestling with all kinds of things. That's true. And and I want them to understand that that gospel is effective no matter what. Even in your sin, you can run to this Christ. Mm-hmm. You can run to this Jesus who is not going to um, dismiss the sin. He's going to bury it in his own blood. Mm-hmm. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to create problems. But but we keep running to this Jesus. Right. Because that gospel message is all that we can anchor ourselves in. Right. It sounds like you're saying is that caregiving is a true platform to see our need to rely on the Lord Jesus. We often think about disability and people who struggle and suffer that they have an opportunity to lead hard into the Savior. But that's true for everyone, and it's certainly true for caregivers. And Peter, you're you're someone who truly understands the caregiver's journey, being by Gracie's side for so many years. How did you respond to your role initially? I mean, it kind of sounds like you were in love, you got married. I mean, you really yeah. had no idea what was ahead. No, I, I I really didn't, and and I I was told and I accepted the mantle that my job was first and primary to make sure she had good insurance coverage, hmm. and so I threw myself into that, and I became so good at it. But in the process, I became a lousy husband. Hmm. Through a long process, I came to understand that I'm husband first, caregiver second, mm-hmm. and I function as a caregiver. And I am a caregiver, but uh, as I, I, somebody called into my show one time and they said, well, I guess God put me on this earth just to be a caregiver. Hmm. And I said, no, he did not. Now you may serve as a caregiver for a season or for a lifetime, 
but he put you here. You are created to glorify him and enjoy him forever. That's why you're here. In whatever role he chooses to assign you to do for whatever season of your life he chooses to assign you with that, but understand your primary function is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That is the chief end of man. Peter, how do you help someone differentiate the role of and responsibility as a husband between their function as a caregiver? If I could pay somebody to do it, that's caregiving. Husbands, you don't pay somebody to be a husband. Mm. You don't pay somebody to be a wife. You don't pay somebody to be a son or a daughter. Loving someone is a different thing than being a paid caregiver. And if I could pay somebody to mow the lawn, that doesn't make them a homeowner. That makes them a lawnmower. I mean, <laughs> you know, a yard, a yard keeper, yard, yeah. groundsman, whatever. But the, the point is, is that you've got to understand this as a caregiver, where your role is. People used to tell me all the time, oh, just trust Jesus, just trust Jesus, just trust Jesus. And, and Jesus understands. And I, I never got that, Crystal. I, I never did. I, I, was, I looked through all the scripture and I couldn't find anywhere in scripture where somebody was taking care of their wife through all this kind of craziness and mm-hmm. yada, yada, yada. And then I realized, oh, wait a minute. Our Savior is in love with a wounded bride, the bride of Christ, the church. We are a wounded bride and he's in love with the wounded bride. I have a caregiving Savior he understands what it's like to take care of a wounded bride. Mm. And it gives me great comfort to understand that he really does understand this. Mm. And then I saw that even from the cross, somebody asked, a reporter asked me one time, Crystal said, what, what, would, what would Jesus do as a caregiver? You know, that was big when everybody was good, what, what WWJD? Right. And I was like, and, and I said, I don't know what he would do. Let me tell you what he did do. And I said, from the cross, he delegated care of his mother to John. And I said, if he can delegate, so can I. And so, you know, that's that's another thing I help caregivers understand that it's okay to ask for and receive help. Mm. That, you know, it, you don't have to feel like you've got to do all this by yourself. That's one of the landmines I write about in my book, Seven Caregiver Landmines. Is the landmine number seven is thinking that it's all up to me. Right. And even Jesus himself delegated care of his mother. Hmm. Doesn't mean you're 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 advocating it. It doesn't mean you're outsourcing it. It just means that you're delegating certain aspects of it. Right. Well, that's good. You know, that brings up the question that I think a lot of people want to know, what are some of the most common challenges that nearly all caregivers will face at some point? For me, the biggest one and I'm seeing this consistently is the loss of identity. Um, yeah, that's what you've been talking about. It sounds like you help people to remember who they are first. Well, we 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 lose our the ability to speak in first person singular. Huh? Um, so it's yeah, ask a caregiver. <laughs> yeah, well, our he ask a caregiver. How are you doing? Well, we just got home from the hospital, or she had a bad night, or our situation is, you know, and uh, and I'm thinking, no, no, no. How how are you doing? And so. When people call into my show, the first question I'm going to always ask is, how are you feeling? And you'd be amazed, Crystal, how many people do not answer that question the first time around. We get lost in someone else's story, and we've got to go back and train ourselves to speak from our own heart and say, I hurt, I'm tired, or Jesus loves me, this I know, for Mm. the Bible tells me so. He died for all of us, but he died for each of us. And Isaiah says, our names are engraved on the palm of his hand. Hmm. 
My name is engraved in the palm of his hand. And he knows me. And I'm so busy trying to carry grace to Jesus that I forget how much I need him. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes we're all busy tearing up roofs to lower somebody down on a pallet to Jesus. We realize, man, let's just jump down there ourselves. We, need, we all need to run to Jesus. Isn't that true? You know, we hear from over a thousand people a month writing into Johnny, writing into Johnny and friends. And I would say isolation is a huge challenge that people with disabilities face as well as their caregivers. It's one of the three I's, isolation, loss of identity, and loss of independence that every caregiver goes through. Mm-hmm. Isolation, uh, and I tell this to pastors a lot, a caregiver can feel isolated in a crowded room. Mm-hmm. They can feel isolated on a crowded pew. One of the worst times for me as a caregiver, the most lonely time in my life I can think of, one of them, was on Easter Sunday at church. There were 2,000 people there. My kids were with grandparents. Gracie lay just really sick in bed. I mean, we didn't know if she was even going to make it. And I slipped away. We lived just two miles from the church, and I slipped away to go to church. I'm there in my nice suit. Everybody's dressed to the nines. There's an orchestra, a huge choir. Everybody's up there just, Christ the Lord has risen today, and everybody's just in a festive mood because it's Easter Sunday, and I was just in agony. I was so lonely. I was so discouraged. I was so frustrated, and I think so many caregivers get that way. Everybody around us is singing victory in Jesus, and we're wondering, what the deal, man? What's going on? What do you mean victory in Jesus? Look what I'm dealing with. And and that's when I, I realized, oh, wait a minute. We've got to be able to speak to that isolation that's in a caregiver's heart. The, the secret of all this is, Crystal, is that I, I do the show and I write the books for me, um, mm. you know, because there's, there was nobody else out there doing the show for caregivers. So I just do it myself. And I, I, I have to say these things to myself because I have to remind myself of these things. Mm. I have caregiver amnesia. I have gospel amnesia. And I have to be reminded. Absolutely. Well, and you're truly a voice championing the care for caregivers, the support that's so needed. What are some of the other pressures you've identified as you've walked along caregivers through the years? I mean, even the, I I hate to use the word psychological pressure, but really some of the internal struggles that are going on. You talked about isolation, loss of identity and independence, but... What about fear? I think all of them. I think that the, the secret to dealing with a caregiver is speaking to the dumpster fire that's in a caregiver's heart. Our hearts are truly train wrecks. We're watching suffering that we can't mm. even put a dent in mm. every day. Mm. And, and I remember Johnny talked, uh, she called me up one time and she asked me to call this lady who was in a, in a pretty bad way um, down in Arizona. So I called her up and I'm no stranger to suffering. I told this to Johnny afterwards. Mm-hmm. I'm no stranger to suffering. I'm no stranger to this sort of stuff. But even I had to take a knee after t- talking to this woman. Her mm-hmm. situation was so difficult. And it just reinforced. And I gave her everything I had. I gave her the best of everything. I, po- I, I, did, I, I speak fluent caregiver, so I know... <laughs> How to say it, but it doesn't mean that it doesn't come without tears. And it doesn't mean that it doesn't come without groaning. And I think the the Holy Spirit, it groans on our behalf because we don't even know what to say. We don't even know how to pray. Mm -hmm. What do you even say? And and Mm -hmm. a lot of caregivers become overweight. Mm -hmm. 
They really suffer from excessive weight gain. That's another one of the landmines. About. I mean, I got big. I got so big, it took two dogs to bark at me. I mean, I did. I got so big, my picture fell off the wall. Oh. I mean, it just, no. And, and so, but caregivers, we, we, we're trying to comfort ourselves and that refrigerator's yeah. too, it's just too close. Right. And so, but, it, but you don't go to a caregiver and say, hey, you're fat. You know, you go to a caregiver and understand that the greatest they carry is in their heart. Mm-hmm. That fear, what I call the fog of caregivers, fear, obligation, guilt, Mm. all those things just are horrific to a family caregiver. Mm. And we live in that fear. We live in that place of obligation. Uh, It squeezes us so tight that we can't function clearly. And we, we, we know we, we get heavy. We know we're dealing with these things. Yeah. We know we have money problems, but, 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 but that's not why we're having conversations with a ceiling fan late at night. You know, and, and what we need is somebody to speak to that, that angst that is in our heart mm-hmm. in a way that we can understand. I had a friend of mine told me, he said, you know, I listen to your show and people call in so many times, they're not even asking you a question. Nope. And, and I said, no, they don't. And he said, well, why are they doing, why do you suppose they're doing that? I said, because they're hearing somebody speak in their language. Right. It's like being in a, in a foreign land and you hear somebody speaking English with, in my case, a Southern accent, and and all of a sudden your ears going to turn quickly, and you're going to see because they're, you understand them. That's right, and they understand you, and that's what they're hearing when they talk to me. They realize, oh my, this guy really understands what I'm going through. He understands what I'm saying, and I do, and I have a responsibility because I do understand it to speak with clarity and to help them get to safe ground. Mm-hmm. I can't fix their problems any more than they can fix mine. And I'm not trying to. I don't even really give advice other than to say, here's a place where safety is. Mm-hmm. Here's the road to safety. Here's the road to safety over and over and over. And so I've just aggregated Constant. all of that into a way that makes sense to my, to me and to my fellow caregivers yeah. to help them understand, okay, wait a minute. The reason why we're afraid of these things is because we think this is spiraling out of control. Mm -hmm. But if we see that God has purpose in it, all of a sudden that speaks to our fear and realize that he's moving in this in ways that we can't understand. We see purpose because Mm -hmm. we see, we see it in the context of the cross. We see it in context of, of God drawing us to himself and revealing himself to us in ways that we wouldn't see without it. And there's nothing like caring for somebody with significant disabilities for a couple of decades mm-hmm. to really expose the need of a savior in mm-hmm. your own life. Mm-hmm. How can a caregiver navigate some of those main pressures? I think you call it GPS, which is really clever. Well, well, that's how every airline pilot and ship captain and everything else, they calibrate themselves in the fog and not they don't lean on their own understanding. Proverbs says, you know, trust in the Lord with all your heart and all your ways acknowledge him. Don't lean on your own understanding. You know why it's in there? Because we lean on our own understanding. Mm-hmm. And we're going to lean on our own understanding right off a cliff. Mm-hmm. And, and so what we have to do is recalibrate our thinking in the midst of this. Now, when you, when you hit a fog, when you're driving in the car, the first thing you do is you have to slow down. Slow down. We caregivers are running at 90 miles an hour with a hair on fire a lot of times. I had a great piece of advice last week from somebody. We've just moved out here to Southwest Montana. I've been coming out here for years, but I'm just, I keep, I keep learning things in this environment. This is a tough environment. 
I was out feeding the horses the other night in minus one degrees and about seven or eight inches of snow. Oh my goodness! You know, it's it's not it's not for the faint of heart out here. Mm. And this guy told me he said the other day it was snowing pretty hard. I had to go across this pretty pretty gnarly hill to get to where I was going to get some new tires for my car for the winter. And he said, "Don't pass the snow plow." Now think about that for just a minute. Don't pass the snow plow. A lot of times we're in a hurry. We want to get there faster, but the safest place is to be behind the guy that is plowing the road, and that's where we're going to stay safe. And he's going to go at his speed, and he's in there listening to Lawrence Welk, and we're listening to Led Zeppelin, and you know, and we're trying to just restrain ourselves, but we have to slow down. Hmm. And if you try to pass the snow plow. Guess what's going to happen? You're going to have to go through all that snow on your own. Mm. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. Jesus' yoke is easy as long as you're not trying to pull Jesus. Mm. And we caregivers have to understand that when we get into these fogs, when we don't know which way is up, slow down. Mm. Because I guarantee you, Jesus is not running through a fog at 90 miles an hour. Mm. He's very methodical. He's not lost. He doesn't, he's not over there wringing his hands, wondering, oh my, he, when Johnny dove off that dock, he was there. When Gracie slammed into that concrete abutment, he did not flinch or turn away. He watched it. Mm. And these are hard theological things to wrap our minds around, mm. but it's true. Mm. We don't have to apologize and wash God's hands of the mess. Mm. He's working in the mess. When I decided to make horrible decisions, sinful decisions. He was there. Hmm. His spirit groans for these things. I've not done anything in my life that has ever surprised God. Hmm. And he's working in all of it and he's going and he knows where he's going. He's got the road. He knows the road. He knows where this is going and we can trust him. How do we know we can trust him? And that's where the real battle is for all of us because he stretched out his arms and gave his life for us on the cross. Once we, once we even start to understand a little bit more of the, what the cross means, it, it's a game changer. It is. And so, so we're sitting there in the middle of these crazy moments and Gracie goes into a respiratory arrest or she's crying in just agony because she's in so much pain. That's when we look at this. See, we don't know how to pray, but we go, we just, we sink to our knees and we, we cry out to this Savior who truly understands this. And when we realize that He is working right here, right now, we're going to let Him deal with the future. Hmm. And I, I remember one time a doctor told me that Gracie was going to have to stay in the hospital for three months with an infection and she had to be in bed. Uh, they'd have to open her up every other day or so and irrigate the disinfection out. She couldn't raise up more than 15 degrees. And I, we had small children at time at home, and 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 um, I just muttered, looking at the wall, I said, I can't do this for three months. Mm. And he said, and we were no stranger to surgeries by that time. That's about surgery number 50 or so. And he put his hand on my shoulder, and he said, you're not going to do it for three months. You're going to do it for 24 hours. Mm. That's learning to deal with that fog of caregivers that I'm going to slow this down and I'm not going to live in next week. I'm going to live today and I'm going to trust him with this right here, right now. That's beautiful. Grace for today, certainly.
So Peter, you know, one of the questions we get from caregivers is, I guess, the desire to have a break, but maybe the guilt that goes along with it for a caregiver. I need support. I need to get away. But the person I'm caring for doesn't want anybody else. And I feel obligated to be with them 24-7, but I can't keep going like this. What do you say to someone in that situation who's exhausted? I say, take a break. What's the plan when they stroke out? That's what I say. What's your plan when you stroke out because you cannot sustain this Hmm. and you need to take a break? Hmm. Somebody said, well, how do you find time to do these things? I just said, I don't find time. I make time. Hmm. If I'm not in a healthy place, how does that help Gracie? I started doing martial arts and I started doing this for myself because I knew that I needed to be healthier. Yes. That I'm going to have to take a break. Hmm. And Gracie and she she gets this. This is not anything against Gracie. Gracie just has to accept it, mm-hmm. and and she does. She understands that if if I burn out, if I stroke out, if I go off the rails, how does that help her? What's the plan if I go down? Mm-hmm. And a lot of caregivers are thinking they're, because they're. I, I remember talking to this this doctor friend of mine. Uh, a friend of mine. A, 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 he became a friend of mine. A friend of mine actually said, "Would you go talk to this guy?" And the first thing I do when I see him, I meet him at a coffee shop, and and he's a retired physician. His wife is in the, the latter stages of Parkinson's in pretty bad shape, and he was very portly. Again, that excessive weight gain that we get as caregivers, mm. and and he was kind of just looking down at his coffee, and he said, "I miss playing golf with my buddies." Again, that loss of independence, and I said. Do you have the resources to bring someone in to help with your wife? And here's his answer. He said, she's not comfortable with that. Mm -hmm. He didn't answer my question. Mm -hmm. He he just said, she's not comfortable that he lost, uh, again, that loss of identity. He's not speaking in first person singular. And I said, I didn't ask what she was comfortable with. I asked if you had the resources. And he does. And I said, how would you like to go play 18 holes of golf with your buddies, have lunch at the club, come home and find your house straightened up, your wife bathed and cleaned in a fresh gown and a meal prepared? And he started crying. Mm. He said, I can't imagine. I said, you are one phone call away from this. You're not doing this 24-7. He's not going to do this every day. It's just one day a week. Mm-hmm. But for his own sanity, and he wrote me uh, several years later, she, she passed away, and he wrote me a note. He sent me a text. He said, you saved my life. Mm. I didn't do anything other than give him permission to do the obvious. And as caregivers, if we do not make time for stillness, we're going to have to take time for illness. Mm. And stillness can come. I, I, sometimes I just go to the piano and I'll just play or go out. I get on a, a four-wheeler or uh, go out here in, in Montana or I was I get out on a horse and went out there. there. Churches used to say there's something about the outside of a horse that's good for the inside of a man. And uh, <laughs> I agree, and with, I agree that with that 100%. <laughs> and, and so there are yeah. times when I just have to go out and just, just go for a walk. Sometimes you just got to detach from it, not sever. That's the amputation. Detach. Mm. So that you can catch your breath. It's okay for you to breathe as a caregiver. Mm -hmm. It is okay for you to seek your own doctor 
to look at you, to make sure that your blood pressure and all your, your levels are okay. Hmm. 72% of caregivers don't even see their own doctor regularly, but they feel guilty if they go do it. Well, I feel guilty if I see to my own needs. You know, I, I, if, if I cut my foot, I need to go get it treated. I shouldn't feel guilty just because Gracie doesn't have feet. These are the only feet she can count on. Mm -hmm. I need her to be a good steward of these feet. And once you realize that you're being a good steward of the one person that is standing between that loved one of yours and even worse disaster, it's a game changer philosophically for you. Mm -hmm. That you're not being selfish, you're being wise. Mm -hmm. And if they get mad at it, and they probably will, sometimes you'll get blowback. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what? They get mad. They'll get happy too. They, they can be mad or as happy as they want to be. That's not my problem. Hmm. Okay? I have to do what's best for the unit, not what's best for... It's not Gracie's life at my expense. Mm. It can't be. It's mm. not Johnny's life at Ken's expense. Mm. It can't be. It has to be what's best for the unit. And sometimes it's best for the unit for me to go see my own doctor. Sometimes it's best for the unit for me to go to a support group or for me mm -hmm. to go to counseling. Hmm. You know, sometimes it's best for the unit for me to take a walk. It's Great. stewardship. It's, and that's part of that GPS, grace, purpose, and stewardship. That's how you get through the fog of caregivers. Give yourself grace. Grace. I, I need grace so much in my life, I married her. <laughs> you know, I mean... Grace, we've got to understand that grace that comes from God to realize we're going, he doesn't ask us to be perfect in this mm -hmm. as far as being a caregiver because there's no way we can be. The only way we can be is if we're committed in Christ because he's perfect. Mm -hmm. And then that purpose, when we see his purpose in it, when we realize, oh my goodness, he's working in this in ways that we didn't expect. And that's what three or four decades of this thing I'm in my fourth decade now, and mm. that's what that's what that kind of stuff that it gives you perspective because then you can see the, the fingerprints of God better. Mm -hmm. When you've been doing this for eight months, it's hard to see anything. Mm -hmm. All right. I've been I'm 34 years now. Mm. 34 years ago this month, I asked Gracie to marry me. I said, Wilt thou? And she wilted. <laughs> and <laughs> but but 34 years gives you perspective. Mm -hmm. and, and then the last one is that stewardship. You don't own it, you're a steward. And you have to give an account to God of how you deal with it. But ultimately, he deals with it. This is his situation. He owns this. I can't fight Alzheimer's. I can't fight Parkinson's. I can't fight, you know, addiction issues from somebody else. But I can fight cholesterol. And I can fight being a jerk. That I can fight. Mm -hmm. I can't fight amputation. Gracie's legs are gone. I can't bring them back. Ken can't fight quadriplegia. But what we can fight is our own desires to put ourselves first. We can fight that. That's so good. That's so good. You know, Peter, you are in the trenches. And for someone like me or others of us who want to be an encouragement to other caregivers, what can we say that blesses you? And what should we not say to caregivers? Uh, the one thing you don't want to say to a caregiver is let me know if there's something I can do. Because hmm. now I got to think of something for you to do. <laughs> and then hope that you'll do it. And hope that you won't screw it up, that I'll have to clean it up after you. 
uh, or that you, you know, that kind of thing. What you, but what you want to say to a caregiver, and let me just take a moment to say something to my Pentecostal and charismatic brethren and sisters. Speak softly. Don't go running in there and prophesy. You'll scare them right off the cliff. Mm. Just speak softly to them. You look at them, you pull them aside, and you, with a low tone and soft words and a soft, soft tone, you look at them in the eye and you say, I see you. Mm. And I see the magnitude of what you carry. Mm. And I hurt with you. Why don't you just start with that? That's good. Don't come up with some kind of, you know, platitude or Christian Hallmark card or something. You're not going to have the right words. Mm -hmm. Sometimes all you can do is groan, but you groan with them. And you don't let them wander off thinking that nobody sees them. You know, what did Jesus say to Zacchaeus? who was so short, he was overlooked, he couldn't see. And he gets up to Jesus and said, hey, I, I see you up in that tree. Come on down here. Hmm. You know, he sees us. He knows us. And we, as, as representatives of Christ, as emissaries of Christ on this earth, we have the responsibility to see the broken, the weary, the bleeding, the dying, the lost. And if we're not, Oh, we can't, I can't fix it, hmm. but we can see it, we can address it, and we can speak with clarity of the gospel and model it. And sometimes we even use words. Sometimes all we do is just show up. Hmm. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. And if you're trying to come up with the right words to say to a caregiver, forget it. <laughs> Who knows? It's not going to happen. But you can come up with the right heart to show up with. And if we're not speaking life into mm -hmm. them with the, the tangible message of the gospel, where are they going to be listening? Who right. is going to be speaking to them? If you as a, as a pastor, and I'm going to talk to pastors in just a second because I know a lot of pastors listen to your, your podcast. If you are not personally dealing with disability and suffering and chronic impairments, then in order for you to be effective in your ministry, you're going to have to push yourself to regularly touch it. Hmm. and someone else. If you are not actively touching the suffering hmm. and engaging with them, Jesus had five things, sick, naked, hungry, prison, thirsty. Hmm. If we're not actively touching those things, then I got to ask you, what are you doing? Hmm. And if people who are groaning, I mean groaning, are not welcome or don't feel in any way acknowledged in your church, what are you preaching? Because I can guarantee you every pew is filled with people living lives of quiet desperation. Mm. And, and if we ask the Holy Spirit to quicken in our hearts so that we can see it, open our eyes, open our ears so that we can see it and are willing to see it, I promise you there is no end to the lives that God will bring in front of you to be able to see, to be able to speak to. You don't have to fix it. Just minister right. to them. That's Just good. see them. Just see them. And, and I, it'll change your theology. There's nothing like suffering to change your theology. Hmm. That is so true. Well, Peter, thank you so much for your time. You have really ministered to my own soul, and I know you've ministered to so many listeners who need that gift of hope. 
So I so appreciate your time, Peter, and God bless you and Gracie, and enjoy your time up in Montana. Well, thank you very much. With more than 30 years of experience as a caregiver, Peter has so much wisdom to share. I loved his spiritual encouragement, his reminder that caregiving exposes the need of a Savior in your own life. I also loved his practical advice for caregivers, his reminder that you need self-care because it isn't selfish, it's stewardship. And if you'd like to hear more from Peter, visit johnnyandfriends.org slash podcast for information about his books and radio show. If you're a caregiver, I hope you were encouraged today. If you aren't personally caregiving for someone, use this month to find a caregiver in your church or your neighborhood and encourage them. Let them know that you see them. You can even consider providing a few hours of respite or offer another specific way you can help out. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you'll join us again next week on the Johnny and Friends Ministry Podcast.